Thanks, Karen and Sue. And good morning, everyone. My name is Lee. I'm one of the ministers here at All Saints. Um, but before I say any more, I'd like you to hear from a few people on this video. So, watch. The way I always start out my story is the way lots of people start out their stories, and that's to say that from the time they were a little kid, they knew they were different. All of my friends enjoyed having their hair in pigtails and wearing dresses, and I wanted to run around and play Tarzan or play football with the boys. I had absolutely no interest in being a girl. I hoped and prayed fervently that it would go away, that I would become straight, that I would become what I thought I was supposed to be in order to follow Jesus. But I knew enough of the Christian world to know that I needed to slam those flickers of attraction toward other women down. They weren't okay. They weren't at all to be talked about. God was at the center of my emotional and spiritual life and my own understanding of Jesus and the story of the cross and the story of salvation was the most precious and exciting thing in my life. And so when I realized that there was this thing inside of me, or this, this spark of a thing, this shadow or suggestion of a thing that might derail that, that was terrifying. when my parents had the sex talk with me and my brothers uh, going up to my dad afterwards and, and asking him, you know, but what about homosexuality? What, what is that? And I was in sixth grade. And he was like, oh, that's, that's something that people do that we don't talk about or that we don't approve of. And, and that was it. Growing up with gender identity questions in the mid-80s, early 90s uh, was, was a very frustrating time. Transgenderism wasn't out there, so it was having this horrible feeling that something was wrong, that I didn't feel like I fit in my skin. The only person I told any of this that I wasn't attracted to women, that I was attracted to men, I told my brother uh, when I was in seventh grade, and I said, I, I don't know what to do about this. And he didn't know either, which was not a great comfort to me. And I decided after that that I just wasn't going to talk about it, that I was just going to wait until it went away, until everything was different. And then I decided to go from this girl who was really afraid of men and was really flirtatious with guys and girls, and I went and I became like youth group girl. I was like, okay, so I'm going to serve in the youth group. I'm going to go to a Christian college. I'm going to be an RA. I'm going to be a small group leader. I'm going to lead worship. I'm going to do all the things for Jesus until my body started to break down. I became suicidal, and, you know, God finally just kind of laid laid out for me that I was going to be okay somehow, and I went to my pastor, and I, with this confidence that I felt God had given me, I went to my pastor, and I said, look, this is something I'm battling, I don't know what to do with it, and I was escorted out of the church, and um, invited to never come back, and... I didn't for 18 years. I didn't set foot in a church. (laughs) 
Alrighty. Um, you can watch the rest of that video in your small groups. Um, it's a lot longer. Um, but as you've seen um, in these, in that video, sorry, we'll just go to the sermon slides. Um, the topics of gender and sexuality are not ultimately issues to be discussed and debated. Ultimately, this is about people. Um, what you just watched is the tip of the iceberg of many stories, horrific stories of how LGBTQ people have been treated by the church, by Christians, by those who represent Jesus. Um, people leaving church to find a loving community. And so as we embark on this five-week series on Sundays and in our small groups, I want to say that if you're someone or you know someone who has been disrespected or pushed out, abused, bullied or disregarded by the church, by Christians, by pastors, um, because of yours or their gender or sexuality, or you've been shamed and looked down on because you've been vulnerable about the, the things that have happened to you, sexual mistakes you've made or things that have been done to you, then I'm so sorry. That grieves Jesus deeply. Um, in this series, we'll talk about sex and marriage um, and singleness. Um, but today and for the the last two weeks of this series, the focus will be on LGBTQ people and how um, and what the Bible says. <clears throat> um, so first, let's brush up on what I mean when I say LGBTQ um, and a few other letters. Um, L is um, stands for lesbian, uh, refers to a woman who is mainly attracted to a woman. Um, gay simply refers to anyone who is attracted to the same sex. Bisexual refers to people who are attracted to both men and women. Um, and then T, transgender, is an umbrella term um, that captures the many different ways in which someone um, does not identify with their biological sex. Um, queer or questioning is also a kind of catch-all term for other experiences of sexuality and gender. Um, intersex refers to people with a condition um, where they're born with some abnormality in their sexual anatomy, reproductive system, or sex hormone um, chromosomes. Um, ace is asexual, refers to someone who is not sexually attracted to anyone. Um, also, before we keep going, I think there's a couple of problems with me giving this talk. <clears throat> I'm not the best person to be speaking on this. Um, I'm not the worst. I am walking alongside a bunch of Christians and non-Christians who are gay, trans, bi, um, close friends and family inside and outside the church. Um, I've read a lot, I've listened to a lot, but I believe on an experiential level, this whole series is lacking. Um, I'm a married heterosexual male. And, and I'm not standing up here claiming to be an expert. Um, I am still wrestling with God on this. Um, and so if it helps, see this talk as a conversation starter. Not the final word, but a humble attempt to steer the conversation about LGBTQ people in the right direction. Um, and so if I upset or offend you with what I say, um, I am sorry. Um, secondly, I'm doing most of the speaking today. Um, and the last thing I think that LGBTQ people need is more people talking at them. Um, we've done too much of that, I think. Uh, we need to listen a whole lot more. I need to listen to more stories um, from LGBTQ people. And if that's you, it'd honestly be a joy and a privilege 
to hear your story. Um, and if, if someone tells you that they're gay or trans or bi, then thank them and tell them you want to listen to their story and understand them and journey with them. All right, now, some of you might feel like the gentle, God loves everyone, Christians should back off approach is dangerous. You want to know what the Bible says and how to lay down firm boundaries for your kids, friends, and others you meet. Um, I want to assure you that this series is going to be thoroughly biblical um, and relevant. Uh, We'll be taking God's word seriously on this topic precisely because God is our loving creator. Um, I'm not suggesting we change the, change God's truth on this issue, but I think what's often been lacking is love, listening to, and understanding people. Um, that's why I think today's talk, especially, is gonna be foundational to, and under, sorry, foundational to our approach. Um, now if you're, if you're thinking this topic isn't for you, um, you know, you're not someone who is LGBTQ, I wanna say this is definitely for you. Because my hope is that as we look at the Bible, at Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would stir in all of us a more Christ-like posture towards LGBTQ people. Um, Many in our life. Um, People who are not just out there, hypothetical people. No, they're real people in our lives and in our church and families. Now, on the other hand, you might be thinking, come on, Lee. You know, these issues are all very modern. The Bible doesn't even mention the words trans or bi. Why on earth should we turn to this ancient book for advice? Well, bear with me. Um, we're going to dive into God's word now um, on what I believe are the most important passage when it comes to gender and sexuality. And there are many like these passages um, because they're the most important passages on what God thinks about people full stop. They're foundational gospel truths. So first, um, we are all made in God's image. Um, Genesis 1 says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You and I are made in God's image. We reflect and embody him. None of us should take this lightly. This is huge. Every single person in our world, gay, trans, bi, heterosexual, young or old, whoever you are, you are made in God's image. You have dignity and worth in God's eyes, as does the person sitting next to you. And the person that you might be debating this topic with. And so every single person has and should be treated with the dignity and worth that God bestows on them. Secondly, we all need Jesus. Um, In Mark 2, the Pharisees, you know, turn to Jesus and go, why? Or turn to his disciples and say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's he doing with them? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous because they don't exist, but sinners. You know, the confronting truth for every single one of us is that you and I are not well 
without Jesus. Jesus came to us for all of us because we're not well in our sin. The word sinner in that passage was unfortunately used exclusively to degrade certain people back in Jesus' day. But Jesus here is making it for everyone. It describes you and me. It describes yours and my desperate need for him. Now, I'm not playing down our sin. Oh, yeah, we're all sinners. It's all good. No, the the way we treat God, the way that we treat others hurts God. It's so bad that he had to send his son to die for us, to mend our relationship with him. But when it comes to sex and sexuality, we can often operate with a sense of shame that's out of proportion to other sin. Young men and women particularly feel ashamed to talk about their struggle with pornography. Um, And some Christians think or even say LGBTQ people are worse sinners than everyone else. But simply experiencing same-sex attraction is not sinful. Neither is experiencing the temptation that goes with it. I mean, Jesus was tempted, but never sinned. So just being tempted is not a sin. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. You know, even when we adopt this love the sinner, hate the sin posture, if you think about it, we're distancing ourselves from those who are considering worse sinners. It's kind of a condescending posture. It's one, it's one that I've often said. Um, but the writer Preston Sprinkle um, helped me see that our posture should more be love the sinner, hate our own sin, and let's follow Jesus together. We're flawed people welcoming flawed people into a flawed community. Alrighty, number three. <clears throat> We're all fully known and fully loved. Um, this came from Psalm 139. Um, but we'll look at verses 13 to 15 first. This is astounding. This is not Genesis 1. This is not the perfect creation. This is post-fall. Um, it's written by a sinner. And so in our mess our failings, our brokenness, we don't lose that reality that we're wonderfully made by and precious to God. Um, LGBTQ people are not a mistake. And if this is you, you shouldn't be ashamed of who you are. You're not perfect. No one is. But deep down at the core of who all of us are, deeper than our unique personalities Um, Gender and sexuality were all the pinnacle of God's creation. Precious, loved, wonderful. And we all need to know that. Um, Let's look at verses 1 to 4. Um, God knows us intimately. We often say this. God knows us better than we know ourselves. None of who we are or what we feel or what we do has taken him by surprise. He knows us. Um, Tim Keller puts it this way. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved 
is our greatest fear. To be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. And is what we need more than anything. Sometimes we're tempted to think that if God fully knew everything we thought and felt, especially in the areas of gender and sexuality, then he would not love us. We can think this about people too. You know, many young people struggling with same-sex attraction or their gender identity fear that if they were fully known by their parents, by their grandparents, friends and church family, they would be rejected. And so we remain loved, a lot of us. We remain loved but not known due to our fear of being fully known and not loved. The God who made you knows you fully and understands you and completely loves you. And as a church, that's the love we need to reflect to one another. We should be a place where everyone feels they can be completely open and loved. And so I want us to think about, does the way we talk about LGBTQ people with our family and friends make us a safe person for those in our life to tell us that this is part of who they are? You know, if we say that all this gender stuff is stupid, if we roll our eyes at people's preferred pronouns, if we're repulsed when we see gay or trans people on TV, if we go along with some Christian writers when they tell us to prepare our young children for battle against the LGBT community. We're making it impossible. We're not leaving space for them to open up if this is something they struggle with. If we've never told our children or grandchildren that it's okay not to be married, that it's okay to experience same-sex attraction, if we distance ourselves and we keep our children from LGBTQ people, then we haven't allowed them the space to be fully known and fully loved. Fourthly, only Jesus fulfills us or completes us. So Colossians 2, 9 to 10 says, um, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Um, I remember hearing a trans Christian say, I think it was Leslie in that video actually, the one who ended the video, say that when someone showed them this verse, it changed everything. I am full in Christ. I am complete in Christ. I don't know if they're going to come the whole way. or <laughs> just, um, I am complete in Christ. What does it mean? What does it mean for us to be complete, to be brought to fullness? It means we have everything we need, doesn't it? Our fullness comes from being in relationship with Jesus, knowing the depth of his grace and forgiveness. This means that our fulfillment doesn't come from other things. It won't come from fully living out our sexual desires. That's true for all of us. Or completely figuring out our gender identity. We don't need to have sex or to be married, to be fulfilled. You know, I know everyone is different, but if you think about it, 
I can imagine how unhelpful it would be for a victim of sexual abuse or partner violence to hear, but you're only going to be fulfilled if you're romantically with someone and having sex. No, we're complete and fulfilled in Christ. And yet, Jesus transforms us. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 says, We all are being transformed into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory. You know, Jesus is the perfect image of God. The Christian life is about being shaped into his likeness, not someone else's likeness. The Holy Spirit convicts us of pride, materialism, gossip, and so much more all throughout our lives till the day we die. We're complete. There's nothing else we need, no one else we need to come to to be complete, but we should expect to, we should want to become more like Jesus. And the biblical sexual ethic that sex is for a husband and wife in a marriage relationship means not giving in to many sexual desires for all of us. Um, But if God made us and made sex, then his design for sex is ultimately a good thing. And we need to trust him on this. But we still need to recognize that given the elevated status of marriage and romance and, and sex and family in our society and even in our churches... That means it will particularly hit hard for the Christian who is struggling with same-sex attraction and their gender identity, as it will for the person who's straight but single. This is a view that is good. This is from God, but it is likely to result in a lot of grief and heartache and feelings of isolation. So I believe, you know, it's a view we need to hold as we talk about it with a lot of grieving, gentleness, compassion and empathy as we journey with people, um, our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Um, This children's book really helped me um, think about how I parent in this space. Um, It's all about wherever you go, I want you to know. Whatever you do, um, it gets you to think about what are my dreams for my children? Um, and it, and it says, you know, no matter what, that they know Jesus' love more and more. That's the biggest dream. And that God transforms them through his love to be more like Jesus, into Jesus' likeness. And as Christian parents and grandparents, I think we'd all give that answer. But you know what? When I asked my children, what do you think my big dreams are for you? That wasn't the first answer that they came up with. I know that I often communicate to my children that my dreams for them are to have lots of friends, to be succeeding at school and sport and dance, to be trying hard in everything they do, to not struggle with certain things, um, to be married and have children. I wonder what your kids would say or your grandkids would say if you asked them, what are my big dreams for you? And so if the Bible tells us that we're all made in God's image, all sinful, all fully known by God, if we're all complete in Christ, but are also are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his likeness, what does this mean for us practically? 
Um, thinking about John 10.10, Jesus as the good shepherd, I've highlighted the bits that um, are important. Two things. Firstly, following Jesus means trusting the God who made us, knows us, and loves us. Satan tells us that Jesus isn't a good shepherd, that he doesn't love us, that we're better off doing life our own way, that God is out of date, that he's withholding good from us. But the safest place to be as a human is in Jesus' flock, to be led by the Jesus who made us and who laid down his life for us, trusting that he knows what's best for us, even if it doesn't always make sense to us, even if it's hard. The Christian life is about trusting Jesus, and that includes listening to his word, listening to his voice on sex and marriage and our bodies. It means finding our identity and fullness in him because he made us and he knows us and he loves us. Secondly, it means when talking to others about this issue, we need to follow the example of Jesus and front with love. Um, You might remember Zacchaeus, um, the short tax collector who climbed a tree. He was a chief tax collector. Um, When Jesus met Zacchaeus, this despised sinner, this lonely man who no one liked, a cheating tax collector, Jesus didn't give his stance on tax collecting first up before associating with him. And he didn't care how the Pharisees, the religious elite, interpreted Jesus' actions. No, he invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. He offered kindness and friendship. He fronted with love. Um, Preston Sprinkle says a similar thing. Um, Our truth won't be heard until our love is felt. Um, And Paul in Romans 2 also says a similar thing, that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. People need to meet the person of Jesus first before they can understand the immeasurable joy of following him, even when it's hard and confusing. So... How will you front with love? How will you embody the kindness of Jesus in this space to the people around you? The band's going to come up and I'm going to pray um, before we sing again. Heavenly Father, we're going to sing of your wondrous cross where Jesus died. And I pray as we survey that, we'll be reminded again of how much you love us, that you know us fully, you know everything about us, and that is scary at some level. But you fully love us. You're not repulsed by us. You want us to be in relationship with you. I pray that we'd hear that again, even if that's for the thousandth time, that we would rejoice in this. Rejoice in the cross. Amen.